You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Meeting on the Mound with Kyle Gibson. And today on the team flight, back from a four-game sweep in Texas, heading back to Minnesota, starting a series with Chicago. Joining me is our two catchers, Mitch Garver and Jason Castro. Guys, uh, obviously fitting that this is a meeting on the mound, but I appreciate you guys joining me. Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having us. Uh, Mitch Garver here, and uh, just coming off a really, really good series here in Texas, ready to uh, head home. And this is going to be an easy interview. If you answer a question when I don't ask a question, that's great. Yes. So, uh, Jason, you were drafted um, out of college. So were you, Mitch. Uh, Jason, you spent not too much time in the minor leagues. And, Mitch, you spent a little bit more. But what would you guys say as a catcher is some of the hardest things coming up through the minor leagues? Uh, I think there's a lot of challenges. Obviously, uh, the travel is one of them. Um, having to catch just on a on a daily basis. I mean, for me, most of my minor league time uh, I spent double in the Texas League, and and that was a, a pretty brutal league as far as weather goes. So, um, just trying to take care of your body, trying to learn your pitchers, and you know, at, at that point when I was in the in double A and coming up, we didn't have really scatter reports, so you were just trying to you know feel what it, what was working for a pitcher for that given day and. Um, and just trying to, to do the best you could to, to guide a guy through a game. Yeah, I think the hardest part for me was uh, just kind of learning learning professional baseball, uh, coming up through the system. And, and, you know, there was a lot of things you struggle with on the field. You're trying to hit, trying to learn how to catch, trying to, you know, learn all your different players and, and obviously struggling against other talented people in the league. But uh, off the field, uh, you're struggling with limited pay and limited food and, and really just kind of going through that minor league grinders uh, mentality that, that you hear a lot about. And, and, you know, there's a lot of lawsuits going on right now about minor league pay, but uh, some of the things that we went through back in back past five years or so, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing how some guys make it out of there. So a, a running joke in the dugout is whenever one of you guys takes a little foul tip, the other one says, so you want to be a catcher. And I think Bobby Wilson started it last year. But when with all the things you guys go through, what made you so passionate about catching? Uh, and how many times have you guys actually wanted to switch positions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always grew up a catcher. My my grandfather got me into it. He, he bought me my first catcher's mask. And uh, he was a he was a catcher for a fast pitch softball team down in the southwest part of the states, and uh, that's kind of something I grew up into. And, and you know, I always liked having all the gear. I liked being involved in every play and being able to make an impact on the game any way I could. And, and you know, obviously, it's kind of the tools of ignorance, and, and you get beat up back there. But uh, you know, it's all part of the job, and it's very rewarding. Yeah, kind of the same thing as Mitch. I grew up catching. I played some other positions as well, but it was always one that um, you know kept you in the game, a lot of action, and um, you know I I played first base in college and and um, actually had a, a couple appearances in the big leagues at first base, and it's amazing how uh, normal your body feels after you you play a position that's not catcher after a game, and uh, you kind of forget what that's like, but. Uh, it's definitely rewarding and, and working with the staff and just kind of getting a different um, perspective on the game uh, from a defensive standpoint is pretty cool. Now, I mean, I've been super lucky throughout my career uh, in the big leagues to throw to catchers and really and good catchers and guys that I feel like are really similar 
So, uh, and I don't know if that's unique or if that's kind of standard for a, a team to have two guys and then both be the same, but um, do you guys prepare the same way or how do you guys go about uh, preparing for a series? I think more and more um, as kind of the analytics um, drive baseball and the decision making, I think um, a lot more of the way that we game plan and, and formulate those game plans are, is becoming standardized. Um, so I think Mitch and I are, are kind of, uh, we have access to a lot of the same information. When, I mean, my first couple of years in the big leagues, I was literally in charge of my own advanced reports and I would just have to get on uh, the bats program and, and uh, try to pick apart hitters and, and look at different things. And I had a, you know, a notebook, probably a couple hundred pages uh, thick, just trying to, to make my own notes and kind of figure out you know how to how to pitch guys on my own and so that side of it's really changed a lot and so I think I think that's kind of how you've seen some kind of similarities in, in the way we attack things and and just kind of you know also mutually just talking back and forth and you know what we see and what's been working uh, against certain guys what would you say is you know obviously we didn't like Jason mentioned we don't have all the reports on the minor leagues what would you say the biggest preparation adjustment for you catching wise has been uh, yeah, I think, you know, along with our pitching coach and assistant pitching coach, uh, there's a handful of people that are working on uh, getting scouting reports for us. So when we come into a new series, say we're heading home now for Chicago, uh, our advanced report team already has uh, a good idea of how we're going to attack uh, these hitters coming up in Chicago. So it's actually really helpful for us. They, they do a lot of the, the hard work that we need to get these reports and you know, heading into this series, we have a good idea how we're going to attack these guys. It's just a matter of executing our pitches. And, and uh, you know, if, when we go over these scouting reports with our pitchers, it's uh, they have a, a firm understanding of how we're going to do things. But really, at the end of the day, it comes down to execution. So, Stroh, I don't, I don't know what the catching situation was when you were called up in Houston. But obviously, Garv, ever since you've been here, you've had one, sometimes two veterans right next to you the whole time. I feel like every time you know, in the big leagues you see a catcher called up, there's a veteran already there, and then they get to learn from that person. Stro, who was that guy in Houston, if there was one, that you kind of had day-to-day ability to lean on and, and talk to them and learn from them? Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit unique um, when I got called up with Houston. Um, there, there was a, a guy, uh, Humberto Quintero, uh, who's actually a bullpen catcher for the Mariners now, who was was been around for a few years and, and – um, he and I kind of shared some time, and, and he was there my first couple of years. But um, I really kind of um, leaned on our pitching coach a lot, and he kind of was the one that brought me in and, and showed me how kind of what what worked for him as far as uh, advanced reporting and how to break down hitters and things to look for. And, and um, that was really the, the first my first taste of, of uh, you know, figuring out a game plan and, and uh, how it – um, kind of came together, and, and so that was um, it was a little bit of a different experience for me, but uh, but a good one nonetheless. So between Jimenez, Bobby, and Stro, uh, what are some of the best things that you've learned from those guys watching them day to day, Mitch? I think uh, you know just kind of how are you going to attack a team over a series, not necessarily one game. Like how do you game plan for a pitcher like yourself, Kyle, or or Jake Odorizzi? Like you guys are similar but you're different in, in in many ways so you can game plan for one game uh, but game two and game three it's it's you have to attack hitters in a different way because they're going to catch on to tendencies and they're going to catch on to the way that you're attacking them so how do you differentiate different starts and uh really that's something that uh, i think bobby kind of helped me with last year because we would attack hitters in different ways and you know uh 
I think everybody has their own unique way to call a game behind the plate. Uh, it's just kind of a matter of you know picking them, what guys are doing and how how they're doing it and why they're doing it. So I think that's a, a great segue actually because in at Missouri, my um, catcher Trevor Coleman, we didn't have anybody calling pitches. They would send in pickoffs. That's about it. So both of you guys being college guys, were you able to call your own game in college, or did you first have that experience coming up in the minor leagues? Yeah, I called my own game, and I think that's one of the bigger things that's ever helped me out. I called my own game through high school, through college, uh, all the way through the minor leagues, and I think you know, that's one of the things that are, that's kind of getting lost in today's game is because uh, it's being able to learn hitters and, and learn swings and, and recognize you know what pitches work in certain situations, and that's kind of something that I've built my career on. Yeah, so I, I actually didn't. I only caught one year in college. It was my junior year, and and that year in particular, um, one of our uh, uh, kind of graduate assistants um, uh, at Stanford was a ex big league pitcher, and so he helped me out a lot um, going in. I mean, there were times where uh, Coach Marquis like would would send in like for certain hitters, he'd throw in a, a few pitches, but. Um, Jeff Austin, uh, the graduate assistant, that he pitched for the Royals for a number of years, and, and a few other teams, the Reds, and he kind of was one of the first guys that really ever talked to me about, you know, how, how to read swings and, and what you're looking for, and, and what that meant for for you know the follow up pitches after you, you saw a certain thing from a guy. So um, that was really my first taste. I mean, I caught in high school and, and called my own games in high school, but I mean that's nothing compared to college and pro ball. So. Um, I kind of had to learn fast, and and when I got to pro ball, only having caught that one year in college, it, it uh, I you know really kind of had to uh, learn. My learning curve was pretty short, and so I was fortunate enough to be around some uh, uh, good people. And, and catching coordinator uh, with Houston was, was great, and, and taught me a lot. So then the other thing that we've had to deal with this year, and you guys deal with basically every spring training, is we bring in new pitchers. What does that look like in spring training to you know see a new pitcher and how do you go about learning him? But then also at the trade deadline, we bring in two guys uh, and then all throughout the year, guys get called up. How do you guys go about learning those pitchers and figuring out you know what pitches he likes to throw and and you know what's the best game plan for him? Yeah, it's always a, a little bit of an interesting experience uh, working with new guys that maybe you've faced before but but never have caught. And and I think one of the biggest things. Um, in spring training is just kind of getting out there and experiencing, you know, those situations and seeing what works for a guy. But when you get a guy like in a trade deadline or uh, acquire someone midseason, uh, you really just have to kind of talk to them and get a feel for for what their mindset is and what they're trying to do. And um, and then you'll see, you know, when you get out there and, and start to work with them, what it looks like. But uh, having that kind of framework and and approach to to see, you know. Versus lefties, righties is kind of what I like to do to guys, and, and uh, try to get as much information as you can before you get out there. Do you find yourself maybe taking a few more mound visits? You know, especially these games, obviously, are really important that we're playing right now. Do you find yourself in the back of your head, Mitch, saying, "You know what? I'm just going to go out and talk to this guy. You know, I've only caught him a few times. Let's figure out really what he wants to do here." Yeah. So, just going back to like the spring training uh question i think that's a really important time to kind of learn your pitchers and, and learn their tendencies and uh i had a chance to do that with, with martin uh this this spring training and i think we got along really well uh you know learning him 
uh, in spring training how he wanted to attack spring training hitters versus how he wanted to attack regular season hitters. They kind of differentiated because he was working on a new pitch in spring and he didn't want to give away all of his secrets that he was going to use during the season when it actually mattered. So uh, being able to learn him, uh, you know, how we were working together in the spring and then carry it over into the season and, and see how he's performed this season. He's had an incredible first half uh, into the second half here. And, and uh, you know, it's it gets a little bit trickier when you get into midseason and you start acquiring guys in different trades and uh, being able to learn Sam and Serge and, and, you know, see them out on the field and competing and uh you know, going through situations and scenarios in your head and understanding what's their best pitch and, and what's a pitch that we can get a certain guy out on. Maybe it's not, you know, the pitcher's best pitch, but executing it and, and being able to get outs like that in late game situations. I think uh, these two guys have done a great job coming in and, and being able to get some really big outs for us here. So on top of you guys, you know, both being, uh, you know, two of the best pitch catchers and pitch framers in the game, you know, we hear a lot about pitch framing right now. Uh, you guys are putting together, uh, you know, two of the best catching offensive seasons as well, and maybe combined, you know, one of the best offensive seasons for catchers that the Twins have ever had. So, Jason, I know a couple years ago, um, before your knee surgery, you were doing something with a connection ball that I use throwing. But what are some of the adjustments that you've made offensively? And then, Garv, I'll get to you and kind of what you've learned over the last couple years offensively in the big leagues as well. Yeah, I mean, pretty early on in my big league career, I think I realized that I needed to make some swing adjustments, I think, in order to, to stay at this level. And, um, you know, there's been a number of them over the years, but um, there's been, uh, you know, a guy that I've worked with a uh, number of off seasons that has kind of got, helped guide me in the right direction of understanding kind of how the swing is supposed to work and, and uh, ways to be consistent. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I've done a number of things. I mean, the biggest thing for me is just trying to find a, a solid balance point and, and trying to, uh, you know, get the get the bat in the zone as early as possible. That way, it gives you a, a kind of more margin of error up there at the plate. And um, I mean, honestly, I think one of the best guys I've seen do it is is Mitch. So um, I, I've definitely kind of watched him and, and you know seen how he's uh, made some adjustments as well, and it's been uh, pretty impressive. So, Garb, you you've. I feel like you've always been known for, you know, hitting as well. You know, in AAA, the year I got sent down in 2017, you were hitting 280 with 15 or 18 homers. You've always been able to hit. But when you get up here, what's an adjustment you've made this year? Uh, you know, we see you having, you know, similar professional bats that you had last year, but I feel like you've taken even another step forward. What would you say are some of the things you've really been working on offensively? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of always been able to put the barrel on the baseball, but um, I really wanted to be able to drive the ball this year, so I went into the offseason, uh, you know, looking to impact the baseball and, and hit the ball in the air, basically. I wanted to hit more home runs. I wanted to hit more doubles. Uh, I wanted to drive the baseball and, and hit in the middle of the lineup and be able to drive, drive in a bunch of runs. So, uh, you know, I made a conscious effort this offseason to go in and, and really work on uh, my approach as far as what pitches I'm looking for each at bat and, and how am I going to make the correct move to hit those pitches. Uh, so basically getting my body in a position to handle the pitch that I want to hit in the best situation that I can hit the baseball. So uh, a lot of, I mean, I could go on for hours and hours talking about hitting, but uh, a lot of it comes down to contact point, like how, how far out front do I want to hit this baseball and, and uh, where am I looking to hit it? And those are coming, kind of the two biggest factors that I that I look at when it comes to hitting. 
I, I like it. I mean, as a pitcher, I think it's still fascinating to just talk hitting a little bit and kind of understand what hitters are trying to do. But um, I, I love it. I love it. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap up here with just uh, some true or false questions um, about each other's university. So, Garv, you went to New Mexico. You're a Lobo. Stro, you went to Stanford. Um, so I just have – I hear a tree. I have four – True or false questions about fun facts about the university, and I'm going to ask them to the opposite one. So, Garv, you're going to get the New Mexico ones, and Garv, you're going to get the Stanford ones. Stro, you're going to get the New Mexico ones. I apologize. Garv, I'm going to start with you. All right, I'll go back and forth here. Fountain hopping at Stanford is a thing. True or false? Never heard of it. False. Fountain hopping is actually true, right? Right, Stro? Stro, tell us what fountain hopping is. Yeah, so there's a few fountains on campus and uh, different points in the year. There's, like, people will go in, like, these groups and just, like, run. And they'll run around campus or bike, and they'll, like, just form these large parties and just go, like, run and jump into the fountains at, like, at night, in the middle of the night. So it's kind of weird, but I never did it. Stanford. They're just really smart, right? They're really smart. (laughs) All right, uh, Stro. The University of New Mexico motto, when translated from Latin, is live the life you were called. True or false? I'm going to say true because I don't know why you would have made that up otherwise. <laughs> do, you, do you happen to know, Garf? No. Of course you don't. Uh, I actually did make that up. It is false. Uh, it is <laughs> translated from Latin. It is life, the light of men. So, oh my God. <laughs> hey, it's your it's your university, Garb. It's not very inclusive. Okay. No, not at all. All right, Garb for Stanford. Same question here, translated from German. The university motto is "The wind of liberty blows." True or false? True or false? Uh, I'm gonna have to go true. Uh, Stru- Do you know? Correct. Yeah. Uh, it's actually close. false. Probably it's close. close. Right? It's false. I did switch a word around. Uh, You guys are going to get on me for this, but it's actually the wind of freedom blows. I was thinking liberty. Yeah. So liberty, freedom, same thing, but just switched up a word there. All right, Stro. Let's see here. In addition to the university mascot, a Lobo, they also use a symbol in their sports called the Zia symbol. True or false? Again, I'm going to say true because I don't know why you would have made that up otherwise. <laughs> Do you know, Garp? Yeah, the Zia is the, the symbol on the state flag as well as it's used across a lot of the logos. Yeah, It is, it is very true. Very good. Uh, Garv, when it comes to the mascot for Stanford, it is simply called the Stanford tree. True or false? Uh, true and false. I think it's the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, is like the official mascot, but I think it's it's an actual tree. Is the which one is it? True or false? <laughs> you said it was Stanford tree. The, the name of the Stanford mascot is the Stanford tree. True or false? False. It's a cardinal. So you're talking about the tree, which is the band's mascot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the cardinal is just the color. That's like the the yes. What the official color i guess is correct uh yeah so it's the tree is the stanford it is it is it is just called the stanford tree really uh really had to think hard about that one once again the smart guys at stanford uh let's see here uh stro for you 
In order to get into the University of New Mexico, you need to only have one of the following. A cumulative GPA of 2.75, an ACT score of 21, or be ranked in the top 20% of your graduating class. True or false? One of the three. You only have to have one of the three, true or false? Yes. Yeah, I'll say true. Yeah, very true. The The restrictions aren't quite as, as strict as getting into Stanford, but uh, you just need one of the three. And actually, they don't even go over the writing part of the SAT. You only need a 1060 to get in. Well, so, they got rid of the writing part now. Yeah, so I don't know that I would have gotten in, unfortunately, with a 1060, but still. Uh, Garv, last one about Stanford here with a little bonus at the end. I don't know what the bonus is. It's not really, you're not going to get anything for it, but there's going to be a question at the end. Stanford students have won medals in every Olympic Games, every one of them, since 1908. True or false? It's kind of hard for me to say false, but I'm going to say false. Uh, do you know that, Stro? I, I don't know. I'm going to say true just because the Olympic quality athletes are incredible. It is very true. Uh, since 1908, they've won 244 Olympic medals. Now, the bonus question is, how many of those do you think have been gold medals of the 244, Garf? Uh, let's go 53. 129 gold medals. Over half of them. Pretty impressive. All right, Stro, for you, this is uh, not quite as prestigious, but... Uh, as of 2017, there were over 25,000 undergraduate students at the University of New Mexico. True or false? Over 25,000. True or false? I'm going to say true over 25,000. Do you happen to know that, Garf? Hope it's true. It is not true. It is false. It is under 25,000, and we're going to give you a chance to make up for it. So under 25,000, what do you actually think the number is? How many undergrad students there are? Yeah. Uh, okay, if that's not true, then I will say 15,000. 19. Just under 20,000. Not too bad for the state of New Mexico and the Lobos. Hey, uh, like I, uh, ragging on the Lobos. we're ragging on the Lobos. We never mentioned, you know, Brian Urlacher was a Lobo <laughs> or, you know, how the, the basketball team was, you know, top five, top ten for a few years I, running there. We did make multiple statements about how smart students swim in fountains and they named their mascot the tree, okay? So we ragged on Stanford, too. Uh, guys, uh, good luck the rest of the year, obviously. We got a, lo a lot of fun games ahead of us. Um, and I appreciate you guys taking time to talk to me here on the plane. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. That's it for the meeting on the mound this week. Listen to the full interview on the podcast. And, Chris, back up to you.